You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Well, good morning. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. This month we've been studying what it means to live according to the high calling. The first week we we used Philippians 3.14 to start out with, and it says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We talked about what a high calling we have. As Christians, we carry the name of Jesus Christ. We're identified with him. He is our identity. And we discussed the need to be mindful of that as we go about our daily lives and how we need to be aware that the world's carefully watching, making sure that that we're living as Christians. They're probably watching closer than we are. They're making sure that we're living up to that name that we carry. And we talked about some hindrances to living according to the high calling. We talked about unrepentant sin, lack of Bible study and meditation. Talked about the lack of prayer and not fellowshipping with other believers. And we talked about listening to bad and false doctrine. And then two weeks ago, we really focused on how to overcome the hindrances, specifically how to get the sin out of our lives and how that tied in with all of those other hindrances. The sin kind of is the root of it. And as we work through getting the sin out of our lives, we, uh, we get rid of those other hindrances as we go. We looked at ways to get the sin out of our lives. And first, we recognized this, that there's sin in our flesh. And then we looked at turning away from sin with true repentance. We talked about fixing our hearts on God, about meditating on his word, communing with him in prayer, and then cultivating obedience in our lives. We talked about how that's a continual process, and it kind of is like a snowball effect, that the more we submit and allow the spirit to control us, the more he points out sin in our lives, and the more that he points out sin in our lives and we get rid of it, the more he can control us, and then he points out new sin that we didn't notice before. We get that out, and then he continues to control us, and it's just it's a, a cumulative effect. And then as we expel that sin from our lives, we start to experience more of the love of Christ. And then last week, the Lord led me to the book of Song of Solomon as an allegory for the love that Christ has for us, his beloved bride, and as a, as a way to kind of understand in some small way, the depth and the richness of his love for us. And we saw that he loves us for the things that we do for him, but he's given us the power to do those things. He loves us because he sees us without spot and blemish, but that's because he made us without spot and blemish. He justified us. It's an amazing thing that what he's done, and we turn around and give back to him, he loves us for that. He looked, we looked at how he calls us down from the high places. He calls his love down from the high places, away from the places of danger and idol worship. We don't bow to idols here, but there's a lot of things that can be idols in our lives. And we saw how this, that his call to us is opposed by Satan, who would have us run and hide like Adam and Eve did from the voice of God. But he loves us, and yes, he is calling us, and he calls us because he desires us. We saw that his heart is ravished with one glance toward him in prayer. 
Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes. And we saw how his heart is ravished with the adornment with which we are adorned. But that adornment is what he's given us, the righteousness. Thou hast ravished my heart with one chain of thy neck. And again, we saw how he revels in those things that we do for him, the fruits of the garden that we have planted for him. He doesn't need us to do anything, but he allows us to, and then he blesses us for doing it. So as I was praying and meditating this week about where the Lord would have me go from there, I started thinking about Jesus Christ. He's the one who loves us in this way, he loves us beyond, this, beyond our human comprehending. And a phrase kind of stuck in my mind and kept repeating itself over and over again throughout the days and even the nights, two different nights, I woke up with this phrase going through my mind. And that phrase is the title of today's lesson, is what manner of man is this? This Jesus that loves us, and I, I was just thinking about how, how much he loves us, and then I just wanted to think about, I want to love him more, so I want to know more about him. And so I just started looking at the various things that make up who Jesus is, and I, I have a lot, but there's so much more. So there in Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the, with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you once again. As I stand here before your people, Lord, it's, it's humbling because I know that I don't have what it takes to do this, but Lord, through your spirit, I know that you can help me. Lord, I just ask you to fill me now with your spirit. Help the words that I say to be the words that you would have me to say. Lord, thank you for your precious word that shows who you are. Thank you for your tremendous love. Lord, I just ask you to be with us in this time. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would now please turn to Luke chapter 8. This morning we're going to go through just a number of passages of Scripture who, that each of these passages teaches a, a, us a piece of who Jesus is. What manner of man is this? In our opening passage, we read that familiar account of Jesus calming the sea. I also want to read it, the account of the same event in Luke, so starting in verse 22 of Luke chapter 8. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. 
keep your place here. We're going, to be, we're going to pick back up here in a few minutes. In both of these accounts, as well as in the account in Mark chapter 4, the same, the same story, the same sequence of events is relayed there. We see that the disciples are frantic because of the storm. They're out of their minds with fear. Their ship is full of water, and they're certain they're about to lose their lives. In their fear, they run to Jesus and awaken him. Master, we perish. And he speaks, and he rebukes the, the wind and the raging waters. Can you imagine that moment? His voice rings out, and suddenly everything is quiet. It says they ceased. It didn't taper off. There was a raging storm one instant, and the next, at the command of the Lord, it just stopped. So what a natural reaction the disciples must have had wondering among themselves, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. We might question them a little bit in their lives. They had spent so much time with him, why couldn't they recognize his sovereignty? But how often we're the same. We've spent much time with him, yet we question his power and marvel in, this, in surprise at the little things and the big things that he does for us in our lives. But this leads us to the first point, what manner of man is this? First off, he's in control of nature. When we stop and think about it, it makes perfect sense because he is the creator. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. And in John, John 1, 1 through 4, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In these verses and other verses throughout the scriptures, we see that Christ is directly linked to creation both at the initial, I call it capital C creation, in which everything that we see around us was spoken into existence, but also the lowercase c creation that's happening all around us, from the tiniest microbe splitting to create a copy of itself, to a seed germinating and growing to produce fruit after its kind, to the amazing creation process that when a husband and wife come together and start a new life, growing inside the woman, he's intimately involved in all of it, so much so that when Paul says in Colossians 1.17, by him all things consist, he's saying that he's in control of, he has dominion over, he has a, he's sovereign over nature. Everything is held together by the power of his word. And I ask you to keep your finger in Luke 8 there. I'd like to continue reading at verse 26. We'll move into the next thing that, the next part of who is, what manner of man is this? Verse 26, And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he brake the bands, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? 
And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he, he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was an herd of many swine feeding on the mountainside, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Here we see that he's not only in control of nature, but he's also in control of what we consider the supernatural. In this account, Jesus has safely arrived right after he's calmed the storm. He's safely arrived at the other shore. It sounds as though he has barely set foot on land when this man that's possessed by a legion of demons accosts him, shouting at him. And in shouting, acknowledging his position of authority, thou son of God most high. And as the account unfolds, the demons, knowing that he has control over them, and he is going to cast them out of the man, ask his permission to possess the herd of pigs that's feeding nearby. We all know the account. They enter into the swine and they run headlong over a cliff into the, into the lake where they drown. This is just one illustration in Scripture. We see that Christ is in control of the supernatural. The demons that possessed the man knew it and they were subject to him. So if you would please turn to John chapter 5. We're going to hit a lot of Scripture today. We've seen that Jesus is in charge of nature. We've seen that he's in charge of the supernatural. Now we will see what manner of man is this. This is the manner of man that heals the broken and makes them whole. That's the third one. Heals the broken and makes them whole. John chapter 5, starting verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in and was made whole of whatever, so whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. In this account, many, many, many from which to choose we see that there is a man who has been trying on his own to make his way into the healing waters of the pool of Bethesda, the waters which would heal the first one who entered in after the angel stirred them. But this man, who had an infirmity for 38 years, had not been able to make his way to the pool in time. What a picture of us trying to heal ourselves, save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. Our best efforts to get into the pool of healing on our own merits will fail time and again. It's only when Christ comes and with a word heals us and makes us whole. Wilt thou be made whole? 
Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Notice again, immediately the man was, was made whole. Immediately the waves were calmed. At the word of Christ, the change is immediate, and he was whole without any trace of the infirmity that had plagued him for 38 years. He who couldn't manage to get himself into the pool now was whole. He could stand. He could pick up his bed and walk. So please turn over a couple chapters over to John chapter 9. So we've seen what manner of man is this. He's in control of nature. He's in control of the supernatural. He heals the broken and makes them whole. Now we're going to find that number four, he makes the blind to see. Starting in verse, verse 1 of, of John chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. <clears throat> he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. And I'm going to skip part of this. Um, this is where they brought him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are quizzing him, and they quiz his parents. And I'm going to drop down, and this is the Pharisees, down to verse, um, verse 23. The Pharisees are badgering his parents, saying, What happened to your son? Starting in verse 23, Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again they called the man that was blind and said unto him, God, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. <coughs> There's so much richness in this passage. and I wish that time would permit me to go into it all. There's the questioning of his disciples with regard to, to the reason that the man was blind. There's Jesus' declaration that he's the light of the world. There's the healing of the blind man, the miracle itself. There's Jesus' lordship over the Sabbath. There's the ignorance of the learned Pharisees. There's the fear of man expressed by the parents of the formerly blind one. And then there's the blind man's proclamation. So much more. But I really want to focus on the miracle and the blind man's proclamation. Jesus gave this man his sight, not with grand words, but with some spit and dirt made into mud and an instruction to go wash in the pool. The man did as he was instructed, and he received his sight. His act of obedience and faith was rewarded with his sight being given to him. 
When questioned by the Pharisees as to the source of Jesus' power, he answers so simply and beautifully, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. There was no question about what had happened to him. He had been given the gift of sight. For us too, we have been given the gift of spiritual sight through the word of God. His word is the light by which we can keep our path straight. But to those who are perishing, who are blind to his truths, it's foolishness. We need a healing from the spiritual blindness, and we need the sight that only Christ can give. Please turn to John chapter 3. <clears throat> so what manner of man is this? He's in control of nature. He's in control of the supernatural. He heals the broken and makes them whole. He makes the blind to see. Number five, he brings new birth through his death. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but Canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, yet receive not our and ye receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe? If I tell you of heavenly things, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is maybe one of the most famous passages of Scripture, especially verse 16. Here we have the account of Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night and being taught about new birth. Jesus teaches him that there is a new birth only through himself, through Jesus, a birth that is spiritual, a birth that gives life eternal all of which is born out of God's love for the world. He also reveals to Nicodemus that Christ must be sacrificed, lifted up on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. What I really want to draw from this passage is that what manner of man is this? This man came to die to give us new birth. That's what manner of man this is. If you want to keep your finger in John, I'd like you to turn over to Luke chapter 19. So we've seen... What manner of man is this? We've seen that he's in control of nature. We've seen that he's in control of the supernatural. He heals the broken 
and makes them whole. He makes the blind to see, and he brings new life through his death. And now we're going to see that he seeks and saves the lost. Number six. Luke 19 and verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, forasmuch he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Again, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture with so much application in many areas. But I really want to focus on that last verse where we, read, where we read, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that, that which was lost. That's what Jesus does. His mission is to the lost. Those who are not lost, those who have no understanding of their lost condition, have no use for him. It's not until one realizes and understands his lost condition that he can come in humility and as Zacchaeus say, Behold, Lord, here's what I'm doing to show my repentance. Despite all the murmurings and accusations from all those around, I'm going to return fourfold of all that I've taken dishonestly. So in answer to the murmurings that the Pharisees were speaking against him, Jesus just reiterates his mission to seek and to save that, that which was lost. I'm so grateful that we have a manner of man who will seek and save the lost. Please turn to Matthew 16. So we've seen that what manner of man is this? We've seen he's in control of nature. He's in control of supernatural. He heals the broken and makes them whole. He makes the blind to see. He brings new life through his death. He seeks and saves the lost. Now we're going to see what manner of man is this. Number seven, he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Starting in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6, I'm sorry, verse 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Here we have Peter's famous confession of what manner of man is this. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we know that this was revealed to Peter by the Father in heaven. So we know that he is the Christ and the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's what manner of man this is. The God made flesh who humbled himself for us so that we can be reconciled with and have communion with God. The man who lived a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice in our place. That's what manner of man this is. 
All right, please turn back to the book of John, chapter 14. So what manner of man is this? We've seen he's in control of nature. He's in control of the supernatural. He heals the broken and makes them whole. He makes the blind to see and brings new life through his death. He seeks and saves the lost. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now let's find out what manner of man is this. Number eight, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Starting in verse 1 of John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here Jesus is comforting his disciples with the hope of heaven, but then Thomas questions him, and what is the way to heaven? We don't know the way. And Jesus' response is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is the essence of what manner of man this is. He is the way, the truth, the life. There is no other. He is the one true mediator between God and man. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other truth. There's no other way to eternal life. So what manner of man is this? We've seen he's in control of nature. He's in control of the supernatural. He heals the broken and makes them whole. He makes the blind to see. He brings new life through his death, and he seeks and saves the lost. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Now we'll continue in John 14 and verse 7. We're going to find out here that, number 9, he is God. Jesus continues, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. From henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. So Philip asks for Jesus to show him the Father, show them the Father, and Jesus replies in no uncertain terms that he and the Father are one. If they are one, that makes Jesus God. He goes on to say that the Father works and speaks through him, controlling him, using him to show his love to the world. So what manner of man is this? He's not only man, he's God. We've got time to do one more. If you would turn over one chapter to John 15. We've seen that he's, what manner of man is he? We've seen he's in control of nature, control of the supernatural. He heals the broken and makes them whole. He makes the blind to see, he brings new life through his death, and he seeks and saves the lost. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. We found out that he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
and He is God. And now we'll see that He's not only God, but He's our friend. Starting in verse 12 of, of John 15. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Jesus, this manner of man that we've been studying, he is our friend. He's my friend. He has laid his life down for me. And out of love, when I obey his commands, I show myself to be his friend as I keep his commandments. As we, as we saw last week, he provides what we need, what we need to do, what he desires, and then he just turn around, turns around and loves us for doing what he desires. What manner of man is this? He's my friend. So we've seen that he's in control of nature. He's in control of the supernatural. He provides for us. That's one I skipped, sorry. He, um, he, feeds, he fed 5,000. He heals the broken. He makes them, and makes them whole. He makes the blind to see. He brings new life through his death, and he seeks and saves the lost. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. We've seen that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is God, and not only God, but he's my friend. All of that, what manner of man is this? This is the man Christ Jesus, the God who loves us beyond our human comprehending, the God for whom we press toward the mark of the high calling, to serve him, to bring him pleasure, to bring honor and glory to his holy name. What manner of man is this? This is my God and my Savior. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.